All right. Okay, folks, welcome to the Thesis Theater event. My name is Brenton Dickinson. I'm one of the profs at Signum University, and uh, I teach more in the literature side of things and uh, I work as a preceptor as well. I am going, I'm very happy, very pleased to be hosting this Thesis Theater. Uh, I have attended them, um, I, and I've, but uh, this is my second student as a thesis student to, to come through uh, this process. It's not an easy process. Us. Um, and, and the, you know, generally, I think the students are a little terrified at thesis theater. But, but uh, for for those of us who are supervising, this is kind of the fun bit, uh, and uh, we get to kind of enjoy uh, the work that we kind of watched as it went through this uh, eight month or year long type process of, of of narrowing down ideas and bringing them into some kind of a form. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Rob talk about his 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 own. He's gonna set up the concept here in a sec, but I want wanted to just introduce him a little bit. Uh, Rob is from Canada. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, he got a BED and a Bachelor in Science from University of Regina, and that's a real that's a real place for, for non-Canadians. Uh, and now, uh, I suppose, has his MA at Signum University. Uh, you, uh, Rob teaches science at Churchbridge, uh, in Churchbridge, Saskatchewan, I think with junior high students mostly, is that right? Um, uh, senior, yeah, senior science. Yeah. And uh, he lives with his wife, Jenny, and their two kids. Aside from teaching and his scholarly endeavors at Signum, Rob can be found designing a new game for his game company, Bird Like Games, which, uh, I think we've actually linked, but you can also check that out uh, through the Facebook site there, Bird Like Games. Uh, in, uh, and uh, he likes to play new instruments uh, and loves games, acapella. You bet. <laughs> I, was hoping, I was hoping for the bow tie a little, like a... Well, I thought I would actually sing. sing yeah, okay. theater, yeah. So. There we yeah. go. Uh, hiking, uh, ultimate frisbee, slacklining, which I have... Um, I'm Take walking between two trees. You need to try it. Oh, we have tried it. It's like you take a giant seatbelt and try and walk it. <laughs> uh, dance and chess, which he sometimes does all those together. So I'm going to hand this over to Rob. Rob's going to set up the concept. We're going to work through some ideas. And uh, and then uh, at uh, in about 20 minutes to half an hour, we'll, it'll start opening up for questions. And then uh, the last the last third of it will be more of a Q&A. So do get some good questions. We've kind of got it all scripted out here, but we will love to hear what your curiosity is because I'm pretty sure the base idea of Rob's concept is is not new to most of the people that are logging in right now mm -hmm. uh, and so really the question is what ha what has Rob kind of brought to this and what is it what what's really important to both of us uh, and, and, and Rob's really been driving this you know what is it that um, that you can walk away with as somebody who's attending here today so look go ahead and, and take it from here Rob yeah sure thanks Brenton uh, yeah, first of all, I just want to thank everyone um, for coming and give you welcome. Um, and for those of you who will view this after the fact as a recording, uh, welcome. So my thesis topic is about the intersection between Tolkien's work and human creativity. And I examine the particular, in particular the effect of Tolkien's creative vision on my own artistic work. My paper, if you've read the abstract, it's entitled J.R.R. Tolkien's sub-creative vision, exploring the capacity and applicability in Tolkien's concept of sub-creation. My thesis argues that Tolkien's concept of sub-creation is a product 
um, of his expanse vision of the nature and significance of human creativity and an all-inclusive invitation to apply his vision to our own creative work, whatever the form of that creative work. Many of us have come to Tolkien's work and found a creative voice that has been in our hearts perhaps all along. Um, but prior to Tolkien was perhaps lost, roaming, or stunted by the forms or structures we've been given until it was uh, set free or energized by, by Tolkien. Throughout my talk, I want to invite you to consider in what ways Tolkien's approach to creativity has affected your own artistic work. And hopefully near the end of this talk, like Brenton shared, your responses can generate uh, some further conversation about the impact of Tolkien's sub-creative vision. So think on this. How has Tolkien influenced your own creative expression? And again, regardless of the creative form, so not just writing, perhaps for some it will be in the visual or performing arts, for others research. Uh, in my case, it's in game design and the very writing of my thesis. How has Tolkien impacted your creative work? How has he influenced your vocation as an artist? So type those questions away and uh, hopefully throughout the talk we can um, generate some dialogue from them. Yeah, I think you can already see that we're trying to turn this upside down a little bit. Normally we'd now go to like, what was your interest in the topic? But I mean, I mean, we kind of, we know what the interest is with sub-creation, right? And so what we thought that right from the top, we'd flip that around and actually have, have Rob sort of live out his interest a, a little bit for us in this limited media of, of um, of the go-to webinar uh, online world design here that we have here. Um, you may, if you have your own copy of Leaf and Tree, you may want to turn to it. Um, Rob's going to be looking at the uh, the Mythopoeia poem, of course, the classic expression of Tolkien's sub-creative vision, uh, or the one of the classic ones. And uh, so if you have your copy, he's going to start, and I think you're actually going to recite, is that right, from the fifth stanza of the poem? Is, yeah. Is that right, Rob? Yeah, okay. Um, so so go ahead, if you have that open or you have it digitally, then open that up and you can follow along. And I'll, I'll uh, Rob, why don't you go ahead and, and recite that for sure. us? So I'll quote from the, it starts the phrase, the heart of man is not compound of lies. The heart of man is not compound of lies, but draws some wisdom from the only wise and still recalls him. Though now long estranged, man is not wholly lost nor wholly changed. Disgraced he may be, yet is not dethroned, and keeps the regs of lordship once he owned. His world dominion by creative act, not his to worship the great artifact. Man, sub-creator, the refracted light, through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Mm. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins, though we dared to build gods and their houses out of dark and light and sow the seed of dragons, twas our right, used or misused, the right has not decayed. Mm. We make still by the law in which we are made. Mm. 
Yeah, thank you, Rob. Actually, it was it was this sort of moment that I think connected us at first, right? I think you right. had had you had you recited this at one of the myth moots or something, or at a myth con. Uh, I had memorized the poem because of its impact on my own creative expression, and um, so yeah, I got a chance to to deliver it by surprise. The the whole poem, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I think you shared that with me during one of our class sessions a couple of years ago. And, and so the thesis developed out of that. Well, I think you've shown us, I think, I think we can get from the, the vocal tone, sort of mm. what, what your interest is. What's kind of, tell us about how you come then to the project. Uh, so w what kind of got your mind buzzing, you know, uh, emotionally and then intellectually? Yeah. Um... Well, I, I was interested in sub-creation uh, because it had become it become for me such a vivid and wide-ranging idea of Tolkien, such a big idea. Ever since I came across Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, um, where he describes the term, I knew I was dealing with something really big. Um, another different stream is just my own love for making things. Um, I was in, interested in Tolkien's idea of subcreation because um, like probably for the last 20 or so years, I've been designing games. Mm -hmm. uh, long before I came across Tolkien's work or knew anything about subcreation. And I felt I could really identify with, um, with Tolkien uh, kind of uh, in, in a little way. Um, Tolkien seemed for me kind of this uh, creative hero, um, a massive creative hero, but uh, I, I, um, I I loved his creative genius in uh, in his stories, and then uh, when I came across, so I had I had read The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, when I came across The Silmarillion for the first time, and I saw this vast mythology that he had made, um, I I was blown blown away really by um, uh, the capacity of his world building, the its degree and its depth. So that was another big, um, big connection point. And then finally, it was, yeah, coming across the poem. And uh, the poem I name is the, the fundamental um, uh, kind of uh, celebration of, of my uh, interest in Tolkien. Um, uh, it, was, it was very intuitive. I, I didn't fully know why I loved this poem so much. And uh, a big part of my thesis was wanting to dive into that. Um, why I, I saw a, a vast vision uh, of subcreation in the poem, and, and and actually thought it was bigger what I saw in it than uh, Tolkien's discussion of subcreation and on fairy stories, which is the kind of the seminal text usually we'd say as scholars um, on his idea. So yeah, but okay, so <laughs> so there's it's going to be clear to those peeking in, and I hope there are students that have their thesis coming up that are either watching this on video or attending it live now, because um, it's going to be clear by the end why the process has been important, right, Rob? You know, so, but I don't know that we need to tell all that just yet, but the uh, that'll come out by the end, it'll be clear why why that all links together. <clears throat> but, but, so, so on, on day one of a thesis supervision meeting, right? What's the first question that, that I would ask you, Rob? What would be the first thing that I would want to know? Uh, what is your... 
What is my research question? <laughs> what is your research question, right? And and we, and we all know that it adapts and changes, and yeah. and uh, occasionally the research question jumps off the page and attacks the researcher um, in in fatal ways. But 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 that's the key. What was your research question coming in into this project? I didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um I knew where my interests lay, you know, but um, uh, they kept circling around the areas of subcreation, the significance of the poem Mythopoeia, but uh, I was dancing in so many places. I really had a hard time narrowing, um, narrowing those interests. Um, so uh, by the time that I come up, come at the end of my thesis um, uh, research semester in, uh, in, in uh, submitting my prospectus, where I have to identify my research question. It was at that time, in what ways does Tolkien's theory of subcreation interrelate with performance theory? And if you read my, if you read my thesis, you'll, you know, you might see some flavors of where that, but you know, it's not there. And that's because um, over the course of the writing process um, and months into it really is when those, those uh, fundamental questions, those driving questions really emerged. And um, so uh, what I eventually arrived at were three driving questions, which I used to organize my paper and they're connected questions. Um, what is it about Tolkien's concept of subcreation that gives rise to the expansive ray, array of possible meanings? What makes subcreation so capacious? Moreover, what are its uses and applications today? Yeah. So you see in my title uh, exploring the capacity and applicability of subcreation. That that's that kind of organized my my approach to the the study. Mm. Now you like there's lots of work done on subcreation as a as a concept. I think it's it's probably the one that captures many of our imaginations just so quickly what were the three what uh, we, you didn't spend a lot of time in your thesis going over the core work i guess there's a foundational mm -hmm. part what are the three basic texts that are typically used that that token uses just quickly to talk about subcreation where can where can readers go or actually i was yeah i was going to pose that to the audience a little bit see what they, what they say but maybe they've read my <laughs> Yeah, if they read your abstract, they're actually it's actually listed <laughs> just, just note uh, there. But uh, for, actually, first, give me. Um, we don't want to. We don't. We want everybody to be involved. What's a. What's a. Um, how would you describe uh, the idea of subcreation to somebody at a coffee shop in line, while you're waiting for your order? Uh, um, how would you just say, "What's your thesis on? It's on subcreation. What is subcreation? Go. Just tell me that. Yeah. Just quickly. Yeah. And you're asking the audience. I'm asking you, actually. Oh, okay. you know, <laughs> okay. Five minutes later, yeah. Yeah. Well, the the ready definition that you you might read in on fairy stories, the mm -hmm. uh, the making of a secondary world that other minds can enter, and then Tolkien uh, adds to that that concept of building an internally consistent world that would be believable and credible to those that enter that, um, and that if you look for if you do a google definition or if you go to the uh oed oxford english dictionary that's that's what it'll point to that on fairy stories uh meaning 
uh, of subcreation. And what does the what does the Mythopoeia poem add for you? Like what what layer level does it add? Because it, it doesn't say it in at, at all the same kind of language. What what sort of images or phrases pop out for you? Yeah. So that part I quoted, man subcreator, mm. the refracted light. Mm. Subcreator, it only appears once in the poem. It's it's the first time Tolkien ever used the word, because the poem historically came first. Um, but there it's there it's an identity. It's a name. Um, it's uh, it's a, a modifier that Tolkien uses to describe humanity. You know, uh, humankind. We are sub-creators. And later on, that that at, uh, end of the stanza, we make still mm. by the law in which we're made. Mm. Um, you know, and there's there's much more. He gets into the he uses the uh, little maker. Yeah. as a, another way of exploring his idea, and that's in the poem, but just sub-creator appears once, um, and yeah. part of my project was looking at the, the actual word and where it appeared across Tolkien, the Tolkien text. Yeah. And, and you looked at some of the scholarship as well. Uh, I, let me just quote that line, you know it, but the little maker has with maker's art, right? Mm -hmm. So that the, the echoing of make, capital M maker and little maker um, and then, but then there's there's a sort of mini kingship, I, I think, right throughout the poem, right? And um, oh, I just want to quote that portion now. <laughs> you, you could, you could. Uh, I will not treat your dusty path in flat, denoting this and that by this and that. Your world immutable, wherein no part the little maker has with maker's art. I bow not yet before the iron crown, nor cast my own small golden scepter down. Yeah. yeah. Now we. We spent a lot of time talking, going through the poem together, and mm -hmm. and certainly the worldview challenge is clear there. Um, but you kept coming back to the artistic space, right? Mm -hmm. The space, the space of the artist, rather than the you know thinking of this as a theologian or thinking of this as a literary critic primarily. Although you're doing literary criticism, um, you kept coming back to kind of. Um, where this is, what what gap did you see um, in the end that, that you ended up speaking to? Because I think we would all know some of the people that have talked about subcreation, but what is the gap where where you address the little maker, that subcreative vision um, in your own particular way in this project? Yeah. Um, coming from that on fairy stories definition again, um, Upon reading on fairy stories, uh, there's such an emphasis on liter literary subcreation. Subcreation within the context of literary worlds. Subcreation is writing, and uh, it's it's usually associated with fantasy literature. Now, I had intuitively, when I came across subcreation, been applying it uh, to my game design work, and that's totally different. And so then that asks the question, is that even warranted, you know, to go beyond the, the literary frame? And I wanted to look at uh, where did this come from? Because I had read all of Tolkien's work and why was I making this intuitive, uh, this intuitive jump? And um, uh, I hope that by writing my paper, more people would realize like I did that Subcreation is not limited to writers of fantasy, but to all people, all the little makers of J.R. Tolkien's 
sub-creative, and I use the word vision. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think, so, and and you had you had a couple, uh, a number of minor, but a couple major conversation partners. Who were they with you in, in this journey? Um, there was uh, Verlin Flieger, and much much of her work, uh, but I, I would say primarily uh, Splintered Light, yeah, uh, Logos and Language in Tolkien's World. Um, so which is also which her, is referenced. That's referenced in the part that you recited at the top, right? That that the, the her book resonates out of that entire section that you were quoting from. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll mention the other, and then we can decide how how to delve into either. But um, Another major one, and you'll you'll see it, its influence throughout my work is uh, Mark J. P. Wolf. Uh, he wrote "Building Imaginary Worlds: The Theory and History of Subcreation." That was a a, a very important piece. Yeah. And, and so tell me the the um, I I keep I keep misquoting Mark Wolf on this point, right? So remember, I keep calling it multimodal. But what's the actual word that he uses? So, so you you came with this instinct. You read this subcreative thing. You applied it to your life as designer, mm -hmm. um, even though Tolkien, in his essay, talks about literature, in particular world building literature, right? So, um, fantasy and and fairy tale. Mm -hmm. But you you just automatically drew it into your own life, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so what kind of language did Mark Wolf give you? Because because uh, he, he actually took your, your project before he knew you or, you know, and, and, and academicized it, right? So what, what, what kind of language did he use that gives you that? Yeah, so Brenton used the word multimodal. Um, which is not the right word. Or is it fine? He uses, he uses, he uses the, uh, the word transmedial. Yeah. And what, what he's doing in his uh, work is extending Tolkien's concept of subcreation. Now, I, however, I, I see it in Tolkien's own uh, exploration, but Wolf is extending it to um, transmedial, so that's across media. So um, let me just find, uh, yeah, that quote that I use. Um, yeah, uh, transmedial modes of storytelling, including literature, comics, film, radio, television, board games, video games, the internet, and more. So he's He's, take, he's, he's taking it outside of that literary frame as well. Um, now, I, I had been doing that before I knew about Wolf, Wolf's yeah. work, um, but he, he gave me permission to speak out um, about, and he gave me a language that used that, you know, I could really identify with, you know, this, he, he was speaking my language, uh, telling, telling the story of, uh, that I could really identify um, in my own uh, my own story of subcreation through game design. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, and I think um, I'm going to use this moment to do something in, in, incredibly um, inappropriate. Uh, and um, and actually, Mark Wolf actually read your thesis in the end, and and here are some of the comments that he said about this because because I think this illustrates a point that we're going to get to. Is mm -hmm. so he says uh, so he, first he talks about having read a lot of projects and we do as academics we come across a lot and, and most of it's pretty good um uh rub's uh, thesis is one of the most enjoyable 
such things that I have read in a while. The thesis is well-written, well-structured, it moves along at a good rate, and contains what my own work has been rightfully accused of containing, enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I thought that was a, uh, and, and the, the, he goes on to give his, uh, the normal assessment, but I thought that was a, a good point and and I mean, what were some of the discoveries that you made? Because I think one of them is the thesis itself. Or right? what were some of the discoveries that you made along the way? Um, um, so I'm really setting up for for the the question of capacity that you've already addressed. But in your own, I, I get, I'm interested in, in your work as a thesis writer at this stage. Yeah. What, what what for you was that like? And and yeah. how did the idea of subcreation inform that? Yeah, um, well, how I had initially laid out my thesis kind of was to, to go through on fairy stories, mm -hmm. to go through Nagel and to go through Mythopoeia. Yes. Because those were recognized sub-creation texts by other scholars and certainly by me as well. Um, and then also to uh, look at that alongside uh, Tolkien's published letters. And so, to give an example um, of a real discovery moment was um, uh, that letter uh, Tolkien drafted to Peter Hastings, a Catholic correspondent. And if you read my abstract, you'd see a, a really central, a remarkable statement that Tolkien makes. It's not actually this statement that I'm about to talk about, but I should read it because it's, it's very powerful and just shows like, why is this important in Tolkien to look at this? Well. He writes to Peter Hastings, um, the whole matter of my myth from beginning to end is mainly concerned with the relation of creation to making and sub-creation mm -hmm. and subsidiarily with the related matter of mortality. It must be clear that references to these things are not casual, but fundamental. Well, Peter Hastings, uh, the letter to Peter Hastings, well, it was a draft, it never got to Mr. Hastings, but um, got to us. <laughs> um, it, it has a lot there. It's, in, it's written in 1954. It's after these other expressions um, of subcreation. And something that stood out was actually just this little moment where Tolkien talks about Leaf by Nagel. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't have the, the statement right here. I should find it really. But Tolkien says that what he's doing in his uh, in Leaf by Nagel is different than what he's doing in his myth. And that he is looking at sub-creation as a form of criticism of art. Mm. And he explores in the story of Leaf by Nagel how, how that is drawn up into creation. Now, that phrase, uh, criticism of art, looking at sub-creation as criticism of art, um, and how Tolkien was doing something different uh, with sub-creation, well, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, this is this is wonderful because Tolkien is trying to extend the meanings of his own concept. And if you can remember the story, if you're familiar with it, um, you can remember Leif Beinigle's a painter. He has this vast vision of a, of a tree and he's trying to paint it and he's always detailing these leaves over and over and over again. And he never finishes it and it's never complete. Um, on one side of the journey anyway. Um, and then he, he encounters two voices and they're evaluating Nagel's work. 
And Tolkien is, he's pressing into that idea of sub-creation as our criticism. Um, Nigel is being evaluated. Uh, he's being measured for his sub-creation. And he's, he's not a writer. He's a, he's a painter. We've got Parrish, who's a gardener. And Tolkien is, he's expanding um, definitions of sub-creation to, to be beyond just literature. Um, you know, uh, people could approach the Leaf by Nigel story as an autobiographical kind of story. Um, but uh, uh, here we get this letter where, where Tolkien's addressing, um, just as one example, uh, sub-creation as something else, as art criticism. And that's really, um, kind of what I was doing. I was applying sub-creation to my own art. Um, so it, it could be a, a framework that the artist uh, can use. And I certainly had been using it in, yeah. in game time. Yeah, no, that's right. I think, it, well, I mean, <clears throat> you make the point in your thesis, like even just the fact that Nickel is a painter rather than a writer mm -hmm. is, is should 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 start to, to invite us to press the, the question of capacity. Uh, for this, and that it's sort of an allegorical cipher of life. I mean, they're aren't they kind of criticizing his life as well as his art, right? They're they're yeah. they're actually looking at his journey as a whole. So I think I think that works. So what did you? So you took you took that, and I think you added um, Aule as well, right? So you you actually look at that the the the, the story one, of Aule, yeah, the, the, the uh, as a sub creation story. <laughs> in the text setting that up you turn you turn where like you know so you, you go through you set up the question of what subcreation is what the vision is the three classic texts you turn to Aule and then you go where from there what did I do after Aule my analysis <laughs> yeah yeah I went to myself you went to I yourself went yeah do you want to this is gonna this could be weird for people because um or it's going to be weird for some people because I think the natural thing, I think we started with the question of, well, now that you've got a framework, where in Tolkien's life or text could we turn, right? That was sort of, mm. that was our natural go-to. That was kind of what you were thinking. But in the end, you turn to your own life as evidence. What, what, what's the rationale for that? What, what are you doing with that kind of um, analysis? Yeah. yeah, so it's autoethnography. And autoethnography is uh, looking at my life as the text. And um, so auto self and ethnography, the culture. So myself as the culture. And it's, it's maybe a new wave of, of studies that need to happen um, with respect to Tolkien. And part of the reason why I wanted to pose that question to the audience uh, about um, how has Tolkien's creativity affected your own um, because uh, many of us can identify with that aspect. And so um, I wanted to look at my own work as a case study of a designer, um, a, a sub-creator, a little maker, um, and how I was impacted by Tolkien's sub-creative vision. Now, that's part of applicability. I, you, you know, this isn't a dry text to me at all, um, Tolkien's work. Um, it, uh, it energized my work. Yeah. When I came across uh, Tolkien's concept, it, in some ways I would say, uh, produced some of my work 
like it engendered it. It uh, certainly inspired, but I, I don't know what my my work would have looked like had I not uh, come across such a vivid idea as Tolkien's. But isn't isn't and you'll understand what I'm doing here, so don't don't be angry with me later. Um, <laughs> but like aren't, like you you make these these uh, games right, basically card 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 based games. Um, like they're pretty pretty big rage right now, and you've made a couple of these. Aren't they? Aren't you just whipping some images into a kind of form? It'd just take a few hours to make a game, wouldn't it? Yeah, just like maybe ten, you know? No. Um, tell, tell us about that. Tell us about tell us about that process. Yeah. Then, so you're coming at game design as a little maker. Mm -hmm. So, so, so tell us a little bit about. You can't obviously go too deep into it, um, and you're pretty brief even in the thesis. You're restrained. But tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. yeah, the time. Just to give a little context. So the time I spent, uh, spent, I, I I loved eight years of a particular project, and I only mentioned one game, the the biggest game that I've made. It's called Friend or Foe. It's a it's a fantasy board and card game. But it was eight years in the making, and I I spent three to four thousand hours. Uh, you know, I, I didn't count, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's more. I think I I, I want to be accurate, so I think I'm going kind of on the low end. Um, and there is a, there is an immediate link, really, with uh, the definition uh, of subcreation in on fairy stories, the making of an imaginary world. Um, I was making a, a game world, mm. and so it's in that imaginative space. I, but I'm using I'm using physical ways of trying to express that, and so cards, uh, rule book, uh, the the board. But I, I went through so many different phases. Um, so I I really in coming across Tolkien's work uh, and his his uh, reflective work uh, on his own. He, he talked about what, what he was trying to do um, when he talked about subcreation. Um, he was thinking about his own, his own uh, creative work. Um, uh, where was I gonna go with that? Um, yeah, I, I could identify with a maker's perspective because I had made probably 30 or more iterations of Friend or Foe and uh, Wolf talks about um, subcreation as process and product. It's it's the beauty of the word actually. Subcreation as a noun. There was the process of subcreation. All those iterations of uh, game design uh, mentally, but then in the product form. Um, and so uh, prototyping was one piece of it. But I kind of saw it from from idea to finished uh, from concept to finished product that eight year process saw lots of different little making, um, kind of levels of little making. So there was prototyping, which was the cheaper end of the thing. That's where I'm using my printer. I'm using um, a cardstock. Oh, when I found cardstock for the first time, like the thicker stuff and Photoshop and the different things I could do with it, different ways to cut um, the, the paper medium and make a, as good as I could with my own tools, uh, a, a beautiful prototype. Well, that was the first phase. But then um, the next phase would have been uh, looking at trademarking, copywriting, um, or copyright, uh, uh, 
um, why can't I think of the word, um, patenting. And then, then, okay, I'm ready to try and put this into the real. Um, I want to get digital artists and I want to use a word I like to use in my thesis. Well, just a little bit, co-subcreate. Um, uh, so have some co-subcreative collaboration with, um, with digital artists who, who then helped shape my own concepts of my game in seeing pictures that they brought uh, to my mind. Um, well, the next phase was establishing my company. I, I, um, part of Unfairy Stories was the desire for excellence. And uh, Tolkien expresses that. Uh, he wants successful expression of subcreation. And so the, the desire, the aspiration to uh, achieve a, a, a realistic subcreation, creation uh, um, uh, uh, a genuine one uh, to subcreate well, that's in on fairy stories. And that flavor I brought out in my work, um, my desire um, to make a good looking product in my game. And so I formed Birdlight Games, um, for, formulated my, my motto, which is imagination, creation, connection. I would have said imagination, sub-creation connection, yeah. but people wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Um, that almost became your thesis outline at one point, didn't it? it almost did, yeah. yeah. And then the final stage was manufacturing the game. And there were, uh, there were risks involved in taking it to these kinds of levels, but um, I, uh, yeah, it, 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 this desire kind of exploded um, when, I, when I really got into the poem, got into Tolkien's uh, work some more. So we're going to, I think like the, the question box is filling up with two kinds of things. One are, are really interesting questions and two people starting to share their stories of uh, the, the, how they instinctively knew that the capacity was there for that sub-creative vision. So, and I want to give some space to those, but um, because I know that there's going to be students and potential supervisors and potential Signum students or other college students that are, are, are going to see this, I do want to, you didn't just turn the question of subcreation to your years of work as a designer, mm. right? And, and there might have been some niggling in that process somewhere, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In a thesis, you can't. <laughs> in a thesis, you can't afford to niggle. There's no time. Mm. Like we, we move you through. So you, there was none. Of, there was no perfectionism or any of that kind of stuff. You 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 know, you whipped off your papers at the master's level pretty pretty easily. They came to you fairly quickly. What was this process like? Was this just another just big paper for you, or was this some other kind of process? Mm -hmm. Good question. <laughs> so um, you share a little, you share in your thesis, and Rob, I don't. You can you can choose how much you want to share this right now because sure, sure. they, they it'll be in the Signum library, so they can read it if they. Yeah, um, this is probably the most important part to me in uh, in looking back on my thesis. I'll just give some quick context. Um, I'm a teacher, and I um, I have a young family. Um, and I, I didn't think that I could uh, complete my thesis uh, without taking some time. Um, uh, so I, I applied for a leave of absence from my teaching position, and uh, that allowed me to, you know, I envisioned being at home a little bit more, but then being able to really focus and uh, consider this my full-time job um, to complete my thesis. 
Now, uh, just for some other context, I just recently completed this paper. It was um, a month ago, January 19th, when I submitted it. Um, and I struggled so much with the whole process. Um, I, uh, I added a lot of, there was a lot of internal pressure because I, I took this time off. I had to get this, this baby done. Well, I, um, I did work full-time hours at this and even more sometimes I um, would go into a library or a coffee shop and I have in mind the section that I wanted to address, where I wanted to dive in, the, the scholars I was working alongside and reading, wanting to incorporate. And I would many times start with a paragraph that I had uh, had from the previous day and by the end of the day, everything was, I had blown that up. I had, it was in all these different pieces and I, I left with a product that I couldn't even see anymore. Um, and this happened so much. Um, I had incredible writer's block and I was, I was falling apart and not sleeping. Um, I, um, it had gotten really bad. And so I finished January 19th. Well, only a month, uh, early December, I was approaching Professor Higgins and inquiring about our incomplete policy. I, time was not the issue, um, but I was either looking, could I, could I find a bit more time? Because I'm in this writer's block and it doesn't matter how hard I work. Um, I cannot uh, produce content. And um, I struggled very deeply with it. I, just to give you a, a story, like, my wife, Jenny, um, I wouldn't have survived without her. Well, I, I, I'd fallen apart probably about six times over a course of two or three months. Um, and one time I remember I was just coming into the kitchen and I said, Jenny, hold me. I, I can't handle this. And um, I had to push through that, uh, that doubt and uncertainty with whether I could get this done. Um, and uh, for most of it, I, I, I just uh, postponed that question. Um, I, I didn't think it was possible, actually. Um, and I was so, was so fatigued, so tired um, by the whole process itself. So um, that, I'm sure you can ask more questions. You know this process intimately, um, Brenton. Um, we had many conversations in the midst of all of this, he and I. Yeah. But you did break through. I did, yeah. Um and and <laughs> I'll give you, okay, I'll give you a chance to catch your breath there by just okay. saying I think actually when you when you applied subcreation to the critic art, the art of criticism, mm. um and to your own process as researcher, I think that was to, to me, that was the, the thing that tied the whole thing together mm. was that, you know, um, I, well, it was a, probably a bunch of things that broke through, but to, from my perspective, one of them was you being able to say, yeah, actually, this, this is not going well. Mm. This is actually part of the vocation. This is, <laughs> this is part of what it means to be a little maker. Right. And, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't I mean it didn't it didn't go perfectly for Aule either. But uh, you know you're, you're not one of the valors, so the you like you know you're you know there's some limits to yourself as well. But like this is actually a pretty common experience 
people should know for researchers. Uh, we don't always have the luxury in an eight-month project for that, but but um, it's something to be cogn cognizant of. Um, and so, in your what you've been saying tonight, so some of the things that you said, so literature, world building, right, um, visual art by to Tolkien himself, uh, criticism first by Tolkien, and then of your own kind of reality. Uh, and and then this whole world game design where consistency is is, is the whole thing, right? I mean, that's the, mm -hmm. you know, if you, it doesn't matter how visually amazing it is or whatever, if there's not consistency, then there's nothing else, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what, can, can, can I actually read a couple of comments? Because people have been kind of expanding. Uh, there's, I hope I can actually do justice to this. And Timothy, I see your questions here, and, and I'd like to approach them as well. But let me just read a couple of these things. Kate says, um, <laughs> I, read that, I read that as Kate Niggle, but it's not Kate Niggle. Uh, <laughs> I have been for most of my adult life an actor. Uh, theater, like other performance arts, differs from other arts and be essentially a cooperative art form, right? And even if I were to do a one-woman show, which I had written myself, I'd still need the creative input of designers, a director, even a producer. Leaf by Niggle is one of my favorite works, and I love the point in the garden when Niggle realizes that he needs Parrish to finish his art. And the place, uh, the place is even eventually named Niggle's Parrish, right, which is a... a a super well done moment. I, I think uh, to I think I think Tolkien, the very private author, realized that his creation was also influenced by the creativity of others, and um, and I think that's a, a really instinctively strong comment, Kate. Too that we see researchers the last decade have been sort of correcting the image of Tolkien alone in his bedroom, typing out on a um, a typewriter in his bed frantic that he would never get it all done and suffering that alone. I don't think that was the case. Um, certainly Christopher Tolkien's retirement highlights at least one of those partners, right? Um, let me just read another one here, if I've got this right. Uh, Lyndon says, I know that when I write poetry, when I draw or when I paint, the final product is never quite finished. There's always a, um, a change or an addition or a detraction. Or, uh, I think that's the word, yeah, and 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 so so there you have the that idea of sub creation, and then you have that idea that there's excellence in the maker's art, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I'll just uh, Lyndon actually has a little, little bit more, and if you'll indulge that here, and then we'll turn to some questions. Um, while a product is put out there, the little maker is always wanting to change or evolve the work. Um, yeah, and so I guess that's it. And then, um, um, and then we have some questions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Facebook, Kate, Kate's Kate Nickel on Facebook, right? Um, and uh, so, so we have some questions, but I'll just say Lynn's comments relating autoethnography and subcreation is brilliant and brave. I think it's also brave, Lynn. Um, but it's also it has to be. I mean, Tolkien didn't have a word for it, but what? What is Leaf by Nagel if it's not autoethnography, if it's not turning his own life into the data, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, and other things too, but, um, but yeah, so that's good. Well, let's go, let's, are, are you okay with some questions? We've gotten pretty, about a third of the way through our outline. Can we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to have to trust people to read the paper and I, th I think we should go to the questions because I think you'll, I think it'll. These Can I read just one little portion that Kate just made me think of? 
Yeah, um, yeah. I, actually, I have one for you to read at the end, but you go ahead now and read. Uh, it's just it's just short. We need yeah. to get to questions. That'd be great. Um, I'm just jumping into Al Ayton, even though I haven't said too much about him. Um, where I, I see Tolkien really exploring the dynamic relational aspects of subcreation. Anyway, Auley's longing for creative collaboration closely echoes that notion in Tolkien's essay of the fundamental human desire for shared enrichment, partners in making, and delight. That comes from on fairy stories. Uh, for the supporting work of other minds and hands is a central theme in Tolkien that merits further study, and one which operates at the lofty heights of the participatory music of the Ainur in Tolkien's Ainulundale, his creation myth, even into the lowly grounds, and Kate saw it, of Nagel's Parish yeah. at time's end. Yeah. Yeah, good. Excellent. Excellent. All right, let me see if I can do justice to some of these questions. Um, uh, okay, so. Yeah, this is. Uh, Timothy also had a comment, by the way, about the consistency that exists between the Tokyo games, board games, RPGs, card games, and how they have a fidel fidelity to the themes and atmosphere of Tokyo's world. Um, and so he was, this may be too big, but like, because they're not terribly narrative, right? So what what is it that... So it's not the narrative that ties those things together exactly. It's there's a there's an informed narrative or a an emerging narrative, right? So what is it that what what can show fidelity in a game, game or or maybe what is it what is it in building a game that's like building a world? Maybe if I can transform that question, just because I am a Timothy mm -hmm. admitted the question might be kind of big for this this context. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, well, if if we're looking at process of subcreation mm. um, that gets at um, some some very unique things um, Tolkien's own uh, writing process in in the writing of the Lord of the Rings so where you'd maybe go to history of Middle Earth um, and to look at uh, how Tolkien um, uh, went through many iterations of, of, of exploring um, how how to tell the story, but often not knowing at certain points who uh, like he he met Faramir, you know, and then he had no concept of that character, and so subcreation part of its process is this discovery, this this freedom to allow our ideas to go where they need to go, and that's not true of some other kinds of creative processes, right? And so subcreation. Um, I look in my thesis a little bit, my paper, of its connection to freedom Cre and um, letting the artistic voice uh, speak out of the heart, <laughs> you know, and not knowing necessarily where, where we're going to end up uh, in that process. And so in making a game, there's, there's a lot of links on process as well with that kind of discovery that if you're, if you're open-handed with it, and, and that I see as intrinsic to the subgration kind of mode of making. Um, but he, he addressed some other things there, so I, I don't know if... Yeah, and I wouldn't go too big. I mean, I was reading to my son uh, Return of the King, and at one point the whole sentence was, it was 
October the 5th or something, right? And and this is, you know, Tolkien kind of making sure that like the, the planetary and the, the, the weather and the geographical and the anniversary dates and the, like all of this fits in some certain kind of way. I mean, I think a lot of that would be your game design, right? We're making all the little pieces fit together so that the world that nobody even notices is consistent enough to allow the the life mm -hmm. of the thing itself to live is that is that fair yeah 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 a couple a couple of other actually comments have come in here um sorry uh the I, even though i think you're already answering this question uh indirectly i'd like to put this forward singer songwriter steve bell i think you've heard of Steve Bell um, had described uh, his own view on how creation was an excess <laughs> overflow of God's love. <laughs> Should I keep reading, or do you want? Do you can you anticipate? <laughs> <laughs> from uh, uh, an excess of God's love, just wanting to burst forward from the deep inside of God. Uh, given that Tolkien was heavily informed from his faith, and that Christianity was for him the ultimate myth, in which all other creations of myth spills forth. Uh, while Tolkien's own creativity bursts forward as the written word and has evolved over time, where do you see now your own expression of excess overflow of God, this little creation, to that of God's uh, in terms of secondary world building via gaming? That's <laughs> a big sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but but, um, but first of all, I, you went on pilgrimage in the middle of your thesis, didn't you? What's that? You went on a pilgrimage in the middle of your thesis, right? or maybe minor. Did you did you go to see Steve Bell? I, I did, yeah. Steve Bell and Malcolm Geis. I did a performed a, a joint concert with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. That's right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. I've I've seen a bit of that. Yeah. And so did you know that Steve Bell's idea of that the 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 tumbling forth or the burning forth of God's love had you seen that heard that before or yeah, um, there, there's a lot I could say about different parts of that uh, that comment. Um, well, let me let me actually use the another question that came in and says, "What does it mean to apply the version of subcreation to one's own particular art?" And so maybe I can combine those two questions, right? So, you know, like you know, if I'm a a dancer or a baker or a parent or a teacher or a mm -hmm. I don't know, tattoo artist. Um, what is it? What is it? How do those things come together? That subcreative vision. How does that work out in in the own particular art? Um, uh, the person, uh, Tim says, is it a feeling or an inspiration? You know, or is it more tangible? Is it actually? Does it change the way that we do it? Mm, yeah. Um, what I talked, what I mentioned so far is excellence, um, but also discovery and freedom in the in in the art. Um, so uh, not having uh, not having that this is how the art has to look, um, and so uh, letting it go places that maybe we didn't intend, um, and and that can be. That can be broadly applied across many of those uh, different kinds of vocation uh, vocations, I guess. Um, um, hmm. Yeah, I, I think the freedom one that you should—it's uh, okay to hang on that for a bit. I mean, think think about you. So you spent three, four, five thousand hours on a game. You did another game. You did a master's degree, which. 
as a science teacher probably isn't exactly the training path that they would have imagined you would take, right? Um, like, you know, a lot of us are pretty ridiculous, I think, that are attending here that go to Signum or that are working on writing and, and catching this sort of thing or, or various arts, right? We need a kind of permission, don't we, to, mm. to not be useful, <laughs> to I mean, to not produce in the way that our white picket fence North American or Euro-American dreams command us to, right? Don't yeah. we need that freedom? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I would, yeah, I would say, um, yeah, but to us, not ridiculous, to Tolkien, yeah. not, right? Um, and um, I talk about freedom also in the sense of creativity for its own sake, hmm. that making is valuable in its own right, intrinsically valuable. That is, um, that is in his vision. So if you, if you read my portion on uh, the word vision, I apply that word um, and I explain why I use that word. Um, it, uh, it, it has us see things differently. Um, with, yeah, with what's, how, how Tolkien lets, uh, we go to Tolkien to, to let our creativity breathe. Um, mm. The spacious nature of Tolkien's concept of subcreation, I say is its very virtue, how, how vast his concept is. Its latitude gives authority. And you, you kind of were highlighting that aspect, uh, Branson, legitimacy and I say vitality to the creative process and to little makers in general. Tolkien's subgrade vision invites us to see valuing creativity for creativity's sake. Moreover, his vision gives us the freedom to make. And what I, I think needed to happen as part of this talk, but I, maybe it won't come out, is courage. Um, sure. I, I look at courage and it, it was one of the, the things I found very late in the process, but that's, I, I, part of part of this was like I found a thesis within a thesis, yeah. that Tolkien's vision expresses the uh, the courage to make, and so yeah. in those really uh, difficult points uh, of my thesis writing, um, I use the words of the poem to to help um, uh, draw out that that creative courage that Tolkien um, that the the, the poet in the Mythopoeia poem um, is, it, I, I go through the blessed are verses and um, the blessed are the timid hearts, um, blessed are the, the arc builders, the, the legend makers with their rhyme, those that are in a small and bare room and upon a clumsy loom weave tissues gilded by the far off day. Um, well, Tolkien in, in those sections, I look at how, how this, this courageous vision of uh, a way to approach our creative tasks. And he, he invests it with courage, he invests it with hope and faith um, over our work and the value of our work and to let that be its own kind of narrative. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, uh, I think you're right. I think um, I actually had those blessed are passages open on my screen. I was hoping you would reference them. Um, I have them just highlighted on, out of the poem. The and, and actually one of your, I think a friend of yours, Tim Friesen, says the appendix E of, and this is more about inspiration, the thing you said just before courage, uh, sparked a love, uh, the appendix E sparked a love of languages, which I express in part by singing classical music in French, English, German, Italian, Russian, and Welsh. 
and I've collaborated to set some of those songs to music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to invite, uh, you know, if there's any kind of last question, if there's the last thing that somebody wants to say, I have two, two sort of questions. One, I don't, I don't know how how to address, but I, I, I want to at least float the question from Tim Fisher because I think it's a pretty good question, which mm -hmm. is, what about the medium and the message, like? How do the different sub-creative vocations, sub-creating sub vocations, sub-creative vocations, how are they sort of expressing that vocation differently just by nature of the vocation? And, and I don't know if you want to address that or if you want to let that float. I think it's a, more of a good meditation question for us because um, I wouldn't know how to address dance. Or yeah, yeah. Who, who is the scholar that said the medium is the message? Yeah, well, I think that's the ref Well, it's another Canadian, Marshall McLuhan, right? And, and uh, I think uh, um, Timothy Fisher's addressing that. Yeah, that, that is a, that's, that's a great question. I, I'm, I'm not sure how to address that actually. Um, and I think that's okay. I think it's a, I think it's actually, I think that's a good one for people that are coming with that sense of sub-creative vision to, to answer, well, what does that mean for me to be a little maker mm -hmm. in this moment? I think that's okay. Uh, Kate asks, uh, do you think um, consciousness of being a sub-creator brings with it a sense of responsibility? to find the truth in the act. Um, that and, is a great question. Yeah, and then of course, why do we always have come to terrors or fears as we're trying to finish our theses? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, what I love about that question is when I look back, and I do cover this in my thesis, um, when I came to the term sub-creation, yes, it brought many joyful things in game design, but, um, I definitely felt a sense of responsibility. I definitely felt um, uh, it, it definitely elevated the, the pressure, um, actually. And um, that was my own reading of On Fairy Stories a little bit, uh, worked in there. Um, but uh, there was a change when it was conscious, a conscious application. It was unconscious before that. or unknown. I didn't even know about subcreation before, but when I could put subcreation and apply that label to describe my work, um, mm -hmm. it, brought, it brought a lot of uh, interesting things. And maybe I could just find a, uh, just a small portion I could read sure. um, about, uh, yes, so, so pressure, um, but also some valuable things that that conscious um, connection um, had for me. So I'll find that in just a sec. Um, okay. I know exactly where it is, so. <laughs> okay. Um, I am right about there. Okay. Um, sure. Okay, I, I'm ready to go. If unless you wanted to say something there, Brenton. No, you go ahead. Yep. Tolkien's subcreative vision renewed and extended my sight, just as Tolkien demonstrated a preference in some of his letters for the word subcreative over creative, or subcreation over creation. I found particular value in using Tolkien's term itself to describe myself and my work. By by calling my game design work subcreation, 
and identifying personally as a sub-creator or little maker. So this is conscious now. It affected a change in my perception of the creative work I was already doing. My vision was being enlarged by Tolkien's insight into the significance of our sub-creative activity. The mere calling of my work sub-creation provided me occasion to view my work as a provision of God, its process and product as a tribute to the infinity of his potential variety. And that mm -hmm. comes from Tolkien's uh, quote in the letters. Sub-creation provided for me a framework wherein I could connect my creative activity to its origo, mm -hmm. its origin, further energizing my work while allowing me to acknowledge its source. Token subcreative vision helps us remember God, restoring a truth of the universe such that, as Milton puts it, man may know he dwells not in his own. So it took something that was uh, much more natural and not very conscious, just my love of game design. And uh, I'd been doing it for years. And so when I consciously applied the label, um, it definitely brought out a desire for excellence, but uh, vocational. Um, connection that this is uh, this is a precious thing a precious love that I have uh, it's a it's valuable for its own sake I need to press in but there there was more basis for it, more kind of teleological value in uh, purpose in it um, because I saw a connection to the source um, the oracle um, so yeah. That, that element of worship uh, came out as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's brilliant, and and I think that's probably a, a great space to end. I do want to just because a couple of thoughts I'd love to float for the group that that have come out of your thing that that are here. Um, um, oh, and we just got got another one, so I'll have to read that as we go. But uh, well, uh, Lyndon says I, I love the medium and the message and how it connects to your work because medium is equated to accessibility to various groups of people, and it begs the question: Who has access to what is created? Mm -hmm. And I mean, with token, that's a huge question. Um, but I think I think um, would you just as I'm just getting the next comment, um, just share super briefly ab about what you've done with your students and and your game design, right? Uh, how you open access uh, for your students there, yeah. Yeah, when I think of my students in game design, so they were my play testers, um, this is where the, the co-sub creative connection actually um, was, the, was the biggest. Um, so uh, the process of hearing feedback from players and my students uh, intimately were, um, had ideas and because it was my company, um, I could uh, I could bring some of those ideas to life uh, in my own work. Um, I don't know if I'm really addressing <laughs> the question though. Well, um, no, it was just, I think you had said once that a student wrote a module um, out of your world, the friend or foe world, I think a student actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a student that built within that world, yeah. That's right, so there's a whole, like you're actually sort of creating a world that then other people can use um, mm -hmm. in that kind of sense. So that's your particular medium. But um, um, but uh, yeah, and then D David Hepting says, um, have you ever found that it like sort of takes over, um, that subcreation develops a mind of its own, that it takes a different direction than you expected or wished it would take? Um, certainly with a thesis, right? That's happened for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yes, for sure, with game design as well. Um, lo lots of different ways I could answer that too. Um, 
Yeah, the, the friend or foe uh, game that I made, uh, I have those other, I wouldn't remember all of them in their total consistency, but I have 30 other versions in my head um, and those previous iterations. And many of those have uh, the physical kind of expression of those too. Um, I probably have eight or so different printings uh, of it, but many of those iterations just um, had little pieces. And so the final product is not the, the vision I had for friend or foe. Um, uh, but I was uh, affected by the, the money aspect of it and the having to uh, move, uh, to reuse artwork, to make cards common, have common artwork where they were individual cards, they had different concepts and I had to just delete concepts um, because uh, of the cost involved in acquiring art. Yeah, so that, that's just one angle. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, well, I think I think we should. We're at the top of the hour. I think we should close this off. Um, I would encourage students to um, definitely. Uh, I, I guess the 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 papers in our our library, but um, you could contact Rob if you wanted to see a bit more of it. The um, it, it's it's certainly um, one thing that strikes me is that the Signum students continue to be producing uh, not just. Uh, not just good thesis projects, because these are a, a bit unusual. We're driving you to a long version of what we would want you to submit for a, a journal, right? A real academic journal of some kind. But um, but they're 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 eminently readable. <laughs> this is the thing that I'm loving about these these uh, signum theses, and I hope that uh, I hope that people will take a chance to read this. Um, I was going to have you read the blessed R's, but you threw them out. You took you took the the beatitude, um, the, the the dox doxology, um, <laughs> but do do you have it in front of you? Just to read to from I the do, timid I hearts. Do. I do. I had it that that in mind, or how I end the thesis in mind. So, oh yeah, do, do the latter. Go ahead. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, and then and then we'll sign off from there. Go ahead. Thank yeah. you again, you, um, all of those attending. Uh, just know that this is an uh, an ongoing conversation uh, that I would love to have with you. Um, okay, in so this is how I end the paper, but I think it it, it sends it, sends us off on a good note. In Tolkien's subcreative vision, he shows us all the little makers of the world and invites us to see ourselves among them. From the little arc builders, to the legend makers, from the highly esteemed fantasy writers, to the little nigglers. Moreover, he invites us to see the scope of these creative contributions we add, as our making extends into all the crannies of the world, and beyond even unto the eschaton, where in paradise, we still will make not being dead, the word subcreation gives expression to our creativity as gift. It provides a framework through which to examine and better understand human artistry and humankind itself. My personal journey with the word helped me to see the subcreative vision Tolkien had unfolded through his subcreation texts. I saw my ability to subcreate as my right, used or misused, and my creative work as having intrinsic value and worth on its own grounds. Tolkien's vision energizes and gives us the courage to make. Moreover, his vision invites us to hope in a good end for all our creative bents and faculties. My own story of subcreation allowed me to perceive the value in adopting Tolkien's word to describe our artistic efforts. Mm -hmm. Other words are available to describe our work. 
But sub-creation is a term wherein Tolkien has embedded the desires, the challenges, and the joys associated with the things we make. Sub-creation is an expansive word whose worth increases with its wear. Hmm. And so I encourage us to wear it. <laughs> Good stuff, right on. Excellent. All right, well, thank you, everybody. Um, as always, check out uh, work on uh, Facebook and the Signum site and take a look at catalog offerings coming up this uh, summer. And I, I think you're trying to get to the spring conference, to the moot in the spring, is that right? Yeah, yep, you bet. <laughs> so you'll be able to go and get your signed copy of the thesis. Or <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, we'll see everyone. Good, good job, Rob, uh, and have a great night. Thank you. Have a great night. Thanks.